Welcome to the United Pubcast. You're back. It's your co-host, Larry, and of course I'm with Tom, but we always say we hate talking about transfers. Excuse me, but you know what we will be talking about today, Tom? Well, I assume transfers by going by the title, Donny van der Beek. Mate, you know it. We will be talking about transfers. Why? Because some big news has happened. The worries, the fears that we had about no transfers happening, it's all gone to bed. You asked me last week, Tom, what is the likelihood of United making no signings? I told you, zero out of ten, and here I am, standing corrected. Well, correct, I should say. Donny van der Beek, it looks like it... Well, United have had a transfer accepted, um, a transfer fee, so 35 pounds, 35 million pounds, with um, a further 5 million euros in add-ons. Donny van der Beek, we thought he was going to Real Madrid. Speak to me. What did you make of this one? Well, I remember we did, I think it might have been at the start of lockdown or January, I forget. I remember we did an episode about him when news first broke months and months ago about United, well, sort of Ajax confirming interest in Donny van der Beek. Forget when it was, but I remember. So there's obviously always been interest there, but I think we at the time sort of said, okay, this is a player we'd like. I think it'd be good. However, if Real Madrid's involved, Real Madrid are going to get the player. Um, suddenly, the world has obviously changed. Real Madrid suddenly don't look the financial force that they once were, and United sort of hopefully haven't been too heavily affected. And almost like the Bruno um, deal, I think United looked to be the only ones in for Van der Beek, and I think there was rumours lately about Tottenham putting in sort of a last minute bid, but. Um, he sort of almost had his heart set on United. And I just think it's just... The excitement about this deal, I think, is just... It's so unlike United. I think usually with these ones, obviously we knew there was interest. But in terms of those official rumours and sort of talks ongoing and sort of a contract being agreed, there was nothing a couple of days ago. One morning on, I think it was Saturday morning in the UK, he was linked. And then Sunday night, UK time, it's pretty much here we go, official by Fabrizio Romano. So... The speed of this deal is the thing that's caught me most off guard because obviously he's a fantastic player. He's a player I want at the club. But just it's a very exciting sign, which doesn't really happen at United. So, yeah, I feel weird being this excited. It doesn't feel right. Yeah, I mean, the thing that I'm most pleased about is it seems like United are really starting to become more tactical, more strategic in their transfers. We've obviously seen the links with, you know, quote-unquote Galacticos, those big-name signings, whereas now the signings seem to look a little bit more targeted, a bit more specific, something to, someone to fit the system, which is something I really like. Let me talk, ask you, um, and we, by the way, we should say a big thank you to Edward van der Sar, who is the CEO of Ajax, former Manchester United goalkeeper, of course, won the European Cup with us. So a big thank you to Mr. van der Sar for, I imagine he's helped make this deal a lot quicker. Do, do you think he has, like, I personally think he has as well, but we sit here as fans and almost, I'd say in a little bit of a lazy way, say, in a lazy argument, say, oh, the deal got done because van der Sar wanted him to go to United, he wanted to do us a favour. But do you think possibly is it a real case of that in terms of, there's no negotiation, it was United met their sort of the transfer fee which Ajax wanted, there was no negotiations and it literally got done overnight. Do you think it really did come down to van der Sar's relationship with the club or do you think that's a little bit too easy to sort of comprehend? Of course, that's way too simple. But what I do think it is, is uh, van der Sar obviously does have a good relationship with Manchester United. He has openly said he would be open to returning to the club in some capacity in the future. And I think when you're talking about making deals happen where... Obviously, what he could have done is played hardball. I think this is where his relationship with the club has actually granted United some goodwill, uh, in the sense, instead of playing hardball where he could have potentially asked for more money, he said, look, you know what, this is enough money to give us what we need as a club. 
but it also allows the player to leave. So I think it's suited both parties, and obviously he hasn't made it difficult for us. So that's that's the fantastic part. But let's talk about the player a little bit. Um, he's, he's played as a 10, he's played as a 6, he can play as an 8. Where do you see him fitting into the this team? Because I imagine he's a, a starting 11 player. Well, yeah. Well, I think the starting debate, starting or bench, I think that's another debate. But in terms of his position, I haven't seen any Eredivisie games, but I've seen a lot of him in the Champions League. Ajax is one of the teams that obviously everyone watched them throughout that run they had where they got up to the semi-final but this year as well. I think he's been very impressive. But um, I think it's very easy to to try and slot him in on paper next to Pogba and Bruno, and the only only room there is probably behind them in a number six position. But I don't think it's right to play him there. I think so. It limits his game. I think he's far better sort of on the front foot in that attacking final third. However, when you do have that, it's obviously Pogba and Bruno in there. But I think we've made this argument before in terms of whenever we sort of link with a player or say, okay, if this player comes in, is it a good signing or is it not a good signing? We look and say, well, he's better than Jesse Lingard and better than Andreas Pereira, so it's good. And that's that's a correct statement. It's a correct view. However, I think this one we're looking at, well, he's better than Scott McTominay and he's better than Fred. So I think that is what we have to look at. He might not be he might not play over Pogba and Bruno, but you look how many times Fred and McTominay played throughout of the season. I'm assuming they're getting up around 40 games or so, 40 appearances. I think Van Der Beek's going to have 40 appearances, whether that be from the start or the bench. I don't know. But in terms of positioning the team like on the pitch, yeah, I think I don't want to put a number on it, but that type of eight, sort of in and around that eight and ten position, I think that's probably where Solskjaer would see him. Yeah, I'm with you. I, I could actually make a case for him coming in in that Matic role. I don't think he's purely a number six, um, but I do think he can play a role there should you need to give Matic a rest. So it is a much-needed signing and gives us much-needed depth in that midfield area. Speaking of midfielders, um, the Brazilian, Fred, you touched on him a little bit. He's had some links with Galatasaray, potentially on loan with an option to buy in future. It seems to have been rejected. What did you make of that one? Yeah, well, he's, the, the link to Galatasaray actually came out maybe probably this time last week, sort of a week before the Van der Beek news. So there could potentially be something in it. If that link came out now... I don't think you'd read too much into it. You'd just think, okay, he's a player who's slipped down the pecking order one. Let's see if we can line him out. You wouldn't read too much into it. But maybe the club are sort of putting the feelers out if anyone would take him. I think the latest has been that any link, any move from Galatasaray has been rejected. But I think we do have to start looking at it because I think Jesse Lingard and Andreas Pereira definitely got, well, I can't say definitely gone, but they would look like they're going to be the first two on the chopping block. But when I say Donny van der Beek is better than Fred and McTominay, I, I believe that. And potentially very well come down to Fred's decision as well. He could see that and think, well, am I going to get the playing time I really want here? And the answer is probably no with um, the arrival of van der Beek. I mean, yeah, I think it is something that could potentially develop as the transfer window does remain open and the summer or the fall, <laughs> I mean, by the time the season kicks off, uh, goes on. So one to keep an eye on. Um, let's go to another midfielder slash attacker, Jack Grealish. Um, do you think the signing of Van Der Beek shows a, sing- a signal of United almost ending their interest uh, in the Englishman? I think it would have to be because, look, they're very different players in different positions. I personally think Jack Grealish can play central and if was brought to United should play in a central position. But I think United and sort of the Premier League in general do see him as almost just sort of that wide I wouldn't say winger, but just sort of that free roam player who sort of finds a little bit of space out wide. 
So a completely different player to Van Der Beek. However, I think almost it was one or the other. And now, given the choice a couple of weeks ago, if I was given a choice, Van Der Beek and Jack Relish, Van Der Beek's obviously the better footballer. I don't think anyone would really disagree with that. But there would be a case for me to lean towards signing Jack Grealish, not for the footballer, but just the personality. I think he has the personality to make it at United. And I'm definitely not saying Donny van der Beek doesn't. I think he sort of looks like sort of the ultimate professional. But there was something about Jack Grealish and just I thought he had what it took to sort of make it at United. But I'm over the moon with Donny van der Beek. And I think getting van der Beek now, I think, as you mentioned, it's probably the end of Grealish because I don't see... Look, we're going to get into Jaden Sancho, I assume, and obviously he's an attacking player. But I don't see the need to go out and get that type of attacking player now where we're pretty well-blessed with in terms of Bruno, Pogba, now Van der Beek. And then you're obviously looking at your front three in terms of Martial, Rashford and Greenwood. I think if Jack Grealish was $30 million, like like Donny Van der Beek, you'd do it. If he's going to cost $80 million, I think that's 70 or $80 million. That's criminal from Aston Villa. Yeah, I think it is time to cut ties and say... See you, Jack. Yeah, I think the only way that that deal happens now is if Jack Grealish hands in a transfer request and actually puts pressure on Villa. Again, that would burn his bridge with his boyhood club. So I think, yeah, you're right. It could be one that happens in the future, but I think for this season, we're putting the queue in the rack for Jack Grealish. Tom, I might give it to you to just go through our Facebook comments and see what our listeners have to say about the Van Der Beek signing. Yeah, so the few listeners had um yeah their view on obviously the new signer or potential new signer, which we we must say by the time you're listening to this. But hey, once Romano says here we go, that's it, mate. It's done. You don't need to worry about the rest. No, fingers crossed. But um, Josh said, class player and quality signing. Like we said on Twitter, he just isn't he isn't just better than Pereira and Lingard, but definitely improvement on McTominay and Fred. I think if we got another centre back and didn't get Sancho. It wouldn't be the worst transfer window in history. Uh, Robert said, a great young talent, a workhorse, a definite upgrade on what on what we have. Hope he can adapt to the Premier League. Enjoyed watching him and the rest of the young Ajax stars in the Champions League run last year. Well, I remember he, he actually featured in the Europa League final we played against Ajax a few years ago, which seems a lifetime ago. But Donny van der Beek was part of that Ajax team and um, did feature. I think he came off the bench quite late. But um, I remember he had a shot, I think, um, against Romero. But yeah, time does fly. But he is still so young, Donny van der Beek. And Tom Gravy on Facebook says, Champions League proven, 23 23 years old and adds a lot of creativity to our midfield, which takes more pressure off Pogba and Bruno. Awesome signing. I think pretty much agree with all of those three three things, but not just the football, which I just mentioned in terms of Jack Grealish and his personality. I think there's something about a player who comes from Ajax or from the Dutch League, there is a Sort of a, a sort of a sense of professionalism around them, and sort of it's almost the ideal Solskjaer signing. What is he? Twenty three, twenty four. He's got something to prove. He's moving from a big club in Ajax, but to a bigger club, so he is making that step up. But he has had that sort of groundwork of obviously playing on the big stage. And I just think there's something about him. There's he, he looks very Dutch. Like he looks sort of very no, no nonsense sort of feel about him. Like you can sort of almost sort of see him going into Carrington, into the canteen at Carrington after training sort of wearing his clogs and ordering a side of pancakes or something. There's just something <laughs> Dutch about him. And I don't know, I like that. Always like a Dutch player at United. The Yapstam, Ruud van Nistelrooy, Robin van Persie. So, um, yeah, I might have to get an old pancake recipe out. Well, I tell you, I hope it works out better than the last Dutchman we had because, gee, Memphis really... Um, he really fell flat to use the to stay on the theme of pancakes. But 
Tom, let's continue on the theme of midfielders. Um, Thiago. Now, this is one where, obviously, he is a class player, currently a Champions League winner with Bayern Munich. Someone who we thought was going to come to United under Moyes and Van Gaal. Didn't happen. Uh, we've seen a lot of links to Liverpool, but now we're seeing some connections to United, and it is starting to get the drum beating, I suppose. Um, a few have said they do expect things to sort of escalate. Uh, Bayern do want a bidding war between United and Liverpool. Do you think he comes to United? Do you see a case for him to still to come even with the Van der Beek signing, or do we very much expect him to go to Merseyside? Yeah, look, putting money, I'd say he's sort of a 7 or 8 out of 10 to end up at Liverpool. I think this is very much... While I think United definitely want the player because he's a fantastic footballer, I think this is very much a nudge from Bayern Munich to sort of hurry Liverpool up in terms of getting their bidding done. But in terms of the player, look, completely different to Van der Beek. I think Thiago, while he isn't the energetic sort of N'Golo Kante everyone, everyone wants, and as good as Matic has been and Matic can be for us, I think Thiago is just streets ahead of Matic. And if we ended up getting Thiago... He just sits in that sort of hole just in in front of the center in front of the center halves, and he's I wouldn't say a prime Paul Scholes or prime Michael Carrick. He's a different player, but um, we just had to watch him in the Champions League in these later stages at post lockdown. Thiago in that position is one of the best in the world, and sadly I do think he's going to go to Liverpool. But I think anyone turning their nose up at him in terms of his age and the leagues he's played, well, he's played for the two of the best clubs in the world. And he's sort of pretty much won everything. I think in his 10-year career or something, there's been one season where he hasn't won the league. I think he finished second. Every other season, he's finished first wherever he's been. So I think you can't turn your nose up at someone like that. And he walks into our midfield, and I think he becomes almost the perfect sort of foil for Bruno and Pogba in terms of keeping the ball and sort of letting them go do their thing. Because when Thiago gets the ball, his team keeps the ball because he just never gives it away. I'm with you, and I think that's the that's the point of difference here. And it comes down to how Solskjaer would want to play, but I think what you lose in terms of destructiveness, if for lack of a better term, with Matic, in terms of the defensive aspect of the game, I think you gain uh, more vision, you gain more opportunities, you you and you know what, you'll probably keep possession more, even against the better sides, um, simply because of what you've said. He's just so intelligent, knows how to keep the ball in and around the team, and. It would free up Pogba and Bruno, I think. So I mean, even more so. So it would be exciting. But like you, I'm I'm with you. I think he ends up at Liverpool. And let's talk about the preseason a little bit. Just a few updates. Um, so Harry Maguire, the latest there. Um, he's obviously challenged. He has no criminal record as it stands. He will get a retrial after the appeal against his guilty verdict. Um, and he's been given an extra week off before returning to training with Manchester United. Um, do you, do you, is there anything we really need to touch on here? Do you think his captaincy is going to come into question? He said himself he doesn't know where his captaincy lies. Yeah, well, I spoke with Brendan on the last podcast. It was just after he did that sort of interview with the BBC. And I stand, stand firm behind him and his captaincy, I think, almost backing 100% even more after that interview. But I'll maybe get your thoughts. We haven't really spoken about it. What did you think? Obviously, well, first of all, United sort of allowing him to do the, do an interview sort of in the middle of a sort of a court case, so to speak. What did you make of the interview, both United allowing him and what he obviously had to say? It didn't surprise me, to be honest. And I say that because United are about the PR machine. And if you get out on the front foot, particularly if you're certain that you are innocent, that, I mean, that was probably the biggest point for me. The fact he took he took the front foot and 
basically proclaimed his innocence says to me that's not a guilty man. Perhaps he is, right? But in his heart, he believes he's not guilty. So I understand from that perspective. It also benefits the club because if he doesn't say anything, there's almost that element of, you know, you're staying silent because you are guilty. I think from Manchester United's perspective is, okay, his name's already been dragged through the mud. We're not actually going to lose anything by him speaking out and proclaiming his innocence here. And because it's going to be something that... I mean, they're saying it could take up to three years for him to actually get a final verdict now. So from United's perspective, you you remember the last thing. And I think that is a uh, a positive image of him being emotional. And I'm not saying he's acting or anything. But that will be the lasting image when people think of Harry Maguire in terms of this whole saga. Of course, it could take a turn and a dip, and I'm sure it will at some point, but I'm with you. I think he has to stay as captain. The The one thing I am concerned about, and I might bring it back to you here, is do you have a concern that this might be a distraction in terms of his football? Because I've got this nag in the back of my head. I just I looked at his body language, and I'm just, I'm just a little bit concerned that maybe football won't be his priority when we're returning to the field, and maybe it causes a dip off in his performance. To be honest, I haven't really thought about it, but just in the last five seconds, as you mentioned, I think having no fans in the stadium will will really benefit him. I think that will add a pressure in terms of especially away fans sing they'll obviously be singing songs about him. I'm sure there is a song about him in regards to Greek police or something. <laughs> and that would only be natural to sort of sort of weigh up on his mind. Yeah. But I think playing behind closed doors, I think it'll be far easier to, to sort of concentrate on the job. And um look, it obviously if, if he's telling the truth, which I do believe him, it is was sort of a crazy scenario which he obviously did fear for his life which I've never been in that situation so I can't comment sort of how he'll recover from that mentally but I'm sure he'll be fine um, just yeah thank God look I do want fans in the stadium but for Maguire's sake this might be a good little sort of introduction this first half of the season to sort of get back to football and try and hopefully put things behind him Something I'll touch on in future but uh, I saw that Chelsea and Brighton had actually trialled I think they got 2,000 and 2,500 fans in there for the trial game, and uh, they were okay. actually quite pleased with it. So it looks like crowds might be back, obviously, with a limited capacity. So something to keep an eye on. Uh, Paul Pogba. COVID doesn't discriminate, does it? It even gets um, very successful footballers. Well, it just adds to the absolute TV show United could run. I've just seen Tottenham just have released this documentary, that all for all or nothing, on, what is it, Netflix or Amazon or something. But United could definitely do their own. Like You just look at this pre-season. We're not signing anyone. Lionel Messi's sort of hanging over the shadows. You could potentially sign the best player in the world. Your captain's arrested in Greece. Your star player has coronavirus. There was a, for God's sake, God rest his soul, there was a dead body outside Carrington the other day. Like, it's an absolute, I wouldn't say a circus in a bad way, but it's a shambles what's happening around the club. Hope this dead Donnie body Van outside has given us. I've missed this. Yeah, didn't you? yeah, it was obviously nothing to do with United, but yeah, it, obviously Carrington's a very sort of remote area. It's a lot of farm, a lot of bush area sort of thing, and... Yeah, dead bodies, and obviously nothing to do with United, but um, yeah, it's all happening. Jeez. And then, well, Pogba will need a quarantine, but you know who else will need a quarantine? Aaron Wambasaka and... Hey? Remember that little kid he was doing the Instagram video with? He was in a, like, a packed restaurant, Paul Pogba, oh, and he yeah. met a fan, and it was, look, it was a great video. The, the little kid was like, broke down in tears after meeting Paul Pogba, and Paul Pogba's like... They're really proud, saying it's emotional seeing fans like this. And that was a great video, went viral. Next day, that kid has to go get a COVID test as well, and sort of he has to sort of seek protection because a lot of the United fan base were after him, thinking he gave he gave COVID to poor Pogba. Oh yeah, well that's Twitter for you, isn't it? But uh, look, Pogba will need a quarantine. But 
Unfortunately, um, two of our players will also need a quarantine because of where they've chosen a holiday. And that's uh, Aaron Wambasaka and Nemanja Matic. Um, geez, it's, it's, it's not the ideal preparation, is it? I mean, considering it's already going to be quite a rush season and to have two of your players going to be missing the start of training, um, not ideal. Yeah, well, not ideal. And I'm not sure the circumstances of their travel in terms of... I've heard different reports saying the club sort of just gave general sort of advice of where to travel and where not to travel, but it wasn't really sort of strictly enforced. Make that what you will, whether it should have been strictly enforced or not. But I've also seen other ones in terms of quarantine. There's, I've read one or two reports. There's kind of like an exemption for professional athletes. If you get this, like if they're getting two tests a week or three tests a week, they technically don't really have to quarantine. They'll still be able to attend training. I'm not sure if that's accurate or not. It could, could be complete nonsense. But, um, yeah, it is, like we said before, in regards to a reality TV show, it um, isn't great preparation for United. No, it is not. In fact, it sounds quite like a, a bit of a messy situation. Do you know where I'm going uh, with this? I see what you did there. Very yeah, good, very yeah. good. So, um, oh, I mean, look, we don't like talking about Manchester City, but, geez, we can't ignore this one, can we? Lionel Messi, Tom, he's skipped his scheduled COVID testing with Barcelona. He's now skipped training for the second day. And I'm telling you, mate, I mean, it, it, look, it's not going to be a free transfer. They're saying it's going to be a £700 million transfer, but... If any club's going to do it, bloody hell, it's Manchester City. This is what they've been waiting for, and the drum keeps beating. Where's it going? Look, my if, I, if I'm a betting man, which I say pretty much every transfer here, I still have a feeling he stays at Barcelona. It just becomes a sort of, again, part of the bun, a messy contractual situation where Barcelona will win out, and they'll stick firm to the £700 million buyout clause, which obviously City won't pay. Because I've seen La Liga come out in the past day and they re- actually released a statement sort of back in Barcelona over Messi saying, well, if someone has to buy him, La Liga has seen the contract and they do have to pay the buyout clause of £700 million. Um, now, obviously, Messi's trying to take things into his own, own hands and put a lot of pressure on Barcelona and that obviously will play a role in the or potential transfer but we do have to look at it. Okay, he's not going to go for free. I think every all parties have sort of understand that he's not going to go for seven hundred million, of course. But you do have to look. Well, if Messi's going to leave, potentially leave for free at the end of the year or at the end of the season, what would a transfer fee look like if City wanted to go put pressure on it now? Would it be look? My hunch would say three hundred million, two hundred million, because I think Barcelona definitely take that over nothing next season. Yeah, I mean. Oh. I don't know, um, but what I do know is they will be prepared to pay the stupid money that it will take, and, you know, this is what, unfortunately, because of the financial fair play fiasco that went down with them, financial fair play is dead as far as I'm concerned, so they're, they're going to go all in for this. If there is just a sniff that this deal can get done, they'll do it, and you know what, forget all everything, right, they are a tin pot club, and I don't say that in spite, it's just the truth, they're not a big club, they're a small club with very rich owners. That's all that they are. But if they did sign Lionel Messi, what it does do is it really does put them on the map. They won't be the empty hat anymore because people will want to go watch... See, well, they want to watch Lionel Messi play. So it does a lot for them off the field and maybe it does propel them to become the club that they've always wished that they could be. Um, look, well, I'm with what, you. What do you make of Messi if he's to join? How do yeah. you see Messi in this? Do you see him... Do you see as just a football fan in general? Are you happy to see him in the Premier League? Are you viewing it simply from a United point of view where, okay, he's now a City star player, which means you have a sort of a feeling of hatred towards him and hope he fails? 
Like, what would you see most, uh, Messi from a personal point of view thinking he's only coming here for the money, he's backstabbed Barcelona when things got tough? Just your general first impression of hearing Messi or seeing Messi in a City shirt. To be honest, I don't like the way Messi's carried himself this season. Um, the first manager has gone, like, yes, I know performances weren't doing well, but the first manager's gone basically because Messi didn't like him. This manager has now gone because Messi doesn't like him. And the second things have gotten tough for him, he's kicked a fuss and now threatened to leave. Like, what does that speak about in terms of his character? He can't face a little bit of adversity, supposed best player in the world. Why can't you take it? I think a real, if to show real character is to actually lift them up during this time. This, like, this is the toughest part of his career, mate. They've come second. It's hardly, uh, it's hardly finishing seventh like we did when Fergie retired. You know what I mean? Like, I just show a little bit of backbone. I think for me, that's where the biggest disappointment is. When you look at, like, I know the comparison is obviously Messi and Ronaldo, and obviously this podcast could go forever if I did that. But you look at the managers that Ronaldo's had to play under in terms of Madrid, um, coming back to win the Champions League multiple times and going to Juventus, challenging himself in England, etc. I just think for him to go to England at this point of his career, he's not going to score 50 goals, and the expectation won't be to score 50 goals either. Because he's, how old is he, 33, 34? So, yeah, I think he's 33 now. That's the thing. Like I said, from my point of view, of course, it's great to see a wonderful football in the Premier League. I don't watch a lot of La Liga. But I'd be really disappointed that a player who's been at Barcelona since, I'm pretty sure since he was around 14, if not younger, and they've put everything into him, it'd be really disappointing for him to leave on that note. Well, I think one of the things in terms of, <coughs> as you said, there's always a Ronaldo and Messi debate. And I will always look... I could, Messi is the better footballer over Cristiano Ronaldo for me. However, if I was to pick one player to put into a team, it would probably be Ronaldo because I just think he just has that edge about him where I think with Messi it all has to sort of fit around him. That's to take nothing away from him. But I've always sort of had Ronaldo over Messi for that reason. However, if Messi does put on the Manchester City shirt, I think the Ronaldo propaganda from all United fans increases tenfold and will... Um, there will be no debate. It will definitely be Ronaldo over Messi because I think, while I agree, it will be great seeing a fantastic footballer like Messi in the league, there will become a, a sign of dislike towards Messi and a sign of hatred because he's going to be a star man for a team we don't like. Yep. And it will only be natural not to like him and I think that will increase our love for Ronaldo. Who knows, maybe once Messi's holding up the blue shirt, United can broker a deal, bring Ronaldo back and they can renew their rivalry, eh? You up for a season of that? Yeah, seems like a Netflix special, I think. All right, brilliant. And I think on that note, we'll leave the podcast there again. Thank you so much for tuning in. I hope you've enjoyed it. We've given you a little bit of everything. Well, this is what we bring to you. We bring you transfer news when there actually is news to talk about because at the pub, we don't do bullshit. Tom, thank you as always, mate. Again, again, if you're listening on um, on iTunes, please give us a five-star review. I've seen a lot on there, actually, so thank you so much for that support. It's been fantastic. And we've got five stars all around, which means more people are welcome to join us in the pub. Tom, pleasure as always, mate, and uh, we'll catch you on the next one. Pleasure. Cheers. Cheers.